Hey guys, welcome back. On today's episode, we thought we would talk about 2020 and our hopes for life post-COVID. So as of this recording, over 1 million people a day are being vaccinated in the United States. And we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank God. Um, So I don't think any of us, I know I surely did not, think that we would be in lockdown for a year. Um, And so we actually recorded an episode about single life in quarantine last spring. And man, oh man, life was uh, much different then. Yeah, it's wild that this has lasted a year. I mean, I don't think we had any idea. I mean, I'm with you. I don't think at all I thought... Last spring when we recorded that episode or I said those things that like a year later we would still be dealing with this. And there were definitely some early quarantine activities that totally fell off. Anybody remember whipped coffee? Yes. (laughs) I was so into whipped coffee in the spring. Um, But I thought it would be fun before we kind of jump into the meat of the episode to talk about the last picture on your phone from the before times. Um, Do you remember what you were doing, where were you? Um, yeah, so what was what's the last picture on your phone from before times? So from before times, it's when I was in Boston and it was one of the last, you know, places um, that I went. And um, there's this really cool um, picture that I took inside of um, this museum. Why can I not think of the name at the time? But um, it was in this really cool museum and it was just this, you know, beautiful, beautiful, tall glass walls and like you could see through and the water behind me and it was so beautiful. It makes you, you look at the picture and you just feel like, oh my gosh, like, you know, the your whole life and the whole world is ahead of you and it was so great. And then, of course, get home and, <laughs> you know, we heard, you heard the whispers, right? Like, this is happening. And, you know, at the time we had um, an intern who was living in in China and she had said that, oh, I have to go home. And, you know, she explained those things, but it still had not come to the United States, like these conversations. And so, you know, thinking from that last picture to now, it's everything has been different. And yeah, I mean, what about you? What's the last picture on your phone? Where were you? So the last picture of my phone is a photo of me and my dad in the San Diego airport. I had flown, so this year around this time, so everybody knows I'm a grad student um, at Baylor. Um, So last year around this, the year as we're approaching, like this is the year anniversary um, for spring break, I had gone with my dad. He had like a work trip to San Diego. And it was really funny because I think the conference organizers had like gone back and forth about whether or not they should cancel or not. Um... And they ended up, they didn't. And then the airport, the the hotel that we stayed at was like right on the beach in San Diego. And I remember, you know, there was maybe like a few cases in the United States then, but it wasn't like a big thing. There were hand sanitizers, what I remember is in the hotel, there were hand sanitizer things everywhere. People weren't really wearing masks, but they had um, like, just know we're doing enhanced cleaning procedures. So there was like everywhere all the time, mm-hmm. um, like 
maintenance staff or like um homes like people like cleaning up all the time like it's like you would get up from somewhere and someone would come like wipe it down and it was like interesting Mm because like i guess in the um one of the waiters in the hotel restaurant was like normally spring break this is like our busiest time a lot of people canceled their reservations i think my dad for his conference a lot of the panels were canceled because the panelists were like you know i don't feel safe traveling um to california but like the, there were, like, hints of it because, like, we went to Walgreens um, and there were, like, no cleaning products in the Walgreens, like, right by our hotel. But mm-hmm. people were still eating in restaurants. Like, we went out to, like, eat in different places. There was, like, no social distancing. And so then to, like, get back. So the last picture was, like, of before times was me and my dad in the airport as, like, we're both heading home. And then, like, getting home and then them declaring it was a pandemic it's just been why I mean it's just it's it's been wild and just to think about I mean like yeah I think for both of us travel was a big part of our life and before time so I think it's yeah it's funny to me that for both of us the last picture was like something related <laughs> to like related yeah, to travel. Right, relating to travel so yeah so this question um we can go a little bit deeper be really honest um how has this last year been for you personally You know, it's been hard. I think, you know, I feel really fortunate in the fact that, like, I am a grad student. And so, like, I never, you know, there's uncertainty, but it's not, like, the uncertainty that, uh, you know, other people have experienced with, like, significant job loss or those kinds of things. I mean, the hardest thing, I think, was my grandmother dying in April and feeling like for, you know, we didn't know if we were going to be able to have a funeral. Like, we didn't know what that would look like. You know, and so, like, I mean, literally the day of, we did not know how many people were, would be able to, like, come into, like, the service. Like, we had to have the service at the funeral home and not, like, at, like, her desire was to have it, you know, at the church, at my parents' church, but the church wasn't open at that time. And, um, you know, and then, like, for my mom, it, for all of us feeling like usually when people pass away, it's like you have you know, family around, friends, like Bible study, like her Bible study group. And it just wasn't that like, (laughs) so like, this is the thing about like black culture is like after the funeral and the burial, you have what is called a repast where people like go back to either someone's home or like the church and they serve a meal and people just sit around and like reminisce and talk about like the experience. And like, this is a big part of like, I, in Africa, like in my African-American cultural experience, when you have funerals, there's always a repast. Well, we couldn't do that. Like we had to, <laughs> the people made to go plates and literally it was like people out of her trunk was like, take your meal from this styrofoam thing. And then, you know, people just kind of went on their own way. And it just feels like, I mean, you know, I think if you've had to grieve someone in this last year, like, you you know, exactly what I'm like, I'm talking about like Zoom memorials and that just, and I think it made real mm-hmm. to me like, like the importance of funerals and why we need like community as we're dealing with grief and like not to be able to have that in the same way, I think was really hard this spring. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the challenge of just, you know, for a while, like I wasn't seeing my parents, you know, thank God, like both my parents have been vaccinated now. So like, you know, they're ready to hit the streets. Um, But, you know, just that sort of like not being together, um, and with any sense of like regularity has been challenging. My sister lives in Memphis. Like she, we have not seen her as much as we would in normal times. And so I think just some of that like isolation, 
like honestly, I know we're probably gonna get into this a little bit later. I think the biggest change for me is I am an introvert, but I think a year of this I'm like more committed than ever to community, if that makes sense of like, I do still, I think, recharge by mm-hmm. myself, but I just, yeah, I'll just never take that for granted again. You know, like I'll just never take the like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be a hermit mm-hmm. and be in my house for two weeks and like, you know, I'll talk to my mom on the phone, but I like won't see people. I, I could do that. And before times I could go weeks. I remember distinctly like the first month of quarantine being like, oh, this is fine. Like I like being by myself. It's fine. That girl is gone. She is never coming back. I will. She's never coming back. She's never coming back. That girl is gone. Um, So I think that has been, I mean, it's just, I think there have been peaks and valleys, you know, and it just, it just, I think just this underlying for me sense of like anxiety and malaise. And I think as someone who like struggles with like being in control, like just feeling like for a year, things being totally out of control. Like, I can't plan for this. I don't know what the semester, like this summer, you know, I didn't know if Baylor was going to, we were going to be back in person. So this summer it's like, okay, am I going back? Am I not? Like, what's that going to look like? And just having this constant state of like, I can't plan too far in advance. And in some ways, you know, that's like, it has broken the illusion of control and I've had to like release some things to the Lord, but it has not been fun living like, with that like underlying anxiety for a year what about you how's this been for you when i try to think about 2020 oh my goodness 2020 was a hard year i want to say that 2020 was the year that broke me and birthed me all at the same time because there was deep grief within that year but i also felt like there was things that I wanted, knew that I wanted to see happen or or come to pass or that I had been working on. And some of those good things came to fruition. And so there was a birthing of sorts. And, and that was like amazing, you know? And I think that for me, you know, I, it was challenging being alone for sure. My mom was with me the first half of quarantine. She was with me till June. Um, and then she moved to Texas. She moved to Dallas. And so um, I spent the rest of the time just alone. And so it was grounding in a way. Um, but man, I'm more of an extrovert anyway. So I just really miss gathering with people. I miss it. Um, you know, my family, my brother lived two hours away. He moved to Baltimore, and so it's just like, you know, my my safety net, my my safe place was just was gone. You know, like dang, like those those people that are just, uh, you know, a few hours away, and you can just let your hair down and chill, like you know, all those things. And so, I just think for me, it's just learning and leaning into the rhythms of rest, grounding myself more creating more space to just, you know, hear myself think, you know, and and have that time. Um, And also just realizing like, man, you just know who your friends are. You know, you learn really quickly who your friends are during times like this. And, and so I just had some really good times with friends and solidified some friendships. And um, so, yeah, so as painful as 2020 was, it was also beautiful all the same. So, 
It was definitely the year that broke me and birthed me. And I'm thankful to God, though, that we are coming close, closer. I will at least say closer to the other side of this pandemic. We might not be going in stadiums anytime soon this year, but just the idea of being able to be in a room with more people, um, it just, it excites me and what's to come. This you know, being quarantined like this hasn't been easy for anybody, you know, and so um, what we have done has been for the love of our neighbor, and I believe in that, and I hope I'm one step closer to seeing my grandparents that I haven't seen for over a year, and, and so um, I just, I really believe that we're getting closer. We're not there. We're getting closer, and with being closer, it kind of like gets me a little excited and a little hopeful in a way that I haven't been um, because it's just hard. You know, we've had a lot of crazy things happen, you know, insurrection, this and that. I mean, 2021 (laughs) has already been a whole year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's funny. So, so I'm watching, so I love um, some Bravo reality TV shows. So, like Real Housewives of Atlanta and Married to Medicine has started back, and they filmed those shows during the pandemic. And so, like, it's weird now watching, you know, like, them protest Brianna Taylor. And in some ways, it's like weird because, you know, I think some people have hesitated to use the word trauma, like if they haven't lost someone or if they haven't lost a job or something. But mm-hmm. watching those episodes about Brianna Taylor on Rural Housewives, there was like an episode where it's them finding out that like the officer is not going to be charged. Um, and they're together and they're just like, mm-hmm. bawled. like they, they, they're all like crying. And like viscerally being transported back to that place. I'm like, it is a tra- like this was traumatic. Like I can't even watch I can't even watch this because <laughs> I don't want to be reminded of yeah, I just yeah, it it has remi- it has clarified for me even if your pandemic experience wasn't the worst. There is still a like trauma or an unsettling or like residual sadness or depression or anxiety I think associated with just having had to go through this um you know Mm -hmm. yes yes it's traumatic I mean we cannot deny that fact I mean I mean but just like you're saying like with the whipped coffee and like stuff like that you remember when the grocery stores were like so sanitary they're not that way anymore that was short-lived but when everything was getting wiped down everybody was being super like cautious and careful things are getting sprayed <laughs> like you know all that stuff um that was yes, and then when yes. things were like a ghost town like i remember driving and i looked around and i was like there's no cars like what um and so it's a lot to think back on what this last year has been and being isolated, thinking about the kids who were born that aren't used to seeing other people that are like, you know, gun shy a little bit from from socializing. And so, you know, I think that we lost so much, not only 500,000 plus lives, but just in community, socialization, different things. And so it's okay to grieve that yeah. or even be triggered by it because yeah. no, it, it's it, it definitely, I, it, I was, it was, I was not expecting to be triggered in that way. And I definitely was, and I had to like take a break. And so it's like, now I'm like, am I going to finish the season? Because I come to this, these shows as an escape and I'm not really getting that escapism. <laughs> 
that these women normally provide for me. You know, I mean, it is reality TV, so this is real life. This is what they were living. But it's like, uh, I don't know that I want to relive it with them. <laughs> yes, exactly, so. exactly. Okay, so Catherine, what has been the biggest change in your life? And how have you adapted to that change? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and I'm just, I'm going to answer really honestly. So, like, between the, the summer when Baylor came back, I live on campus at Baylor, um, and I had been living by myself um, before. So now I live on campus in a dorm with, you know, 100-plus students. So I think, one, I'm, like, just not as isolated, I think, as I was before. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that comes with living on campus at a Baptist institution is I cannot have alcohol in my house. Um, And so I don't, it's weird because it's like, I, so like my out, so I would say the biggest change in my life is my relationship with alcohol has totally changed. I mean, I don't eat in restaurants. Like I've Mm -hmm. I've not eaten in a restaurant in a while. Um, I might sit out on a patio, but it's just like, I feel like, you know, that like bottle of wine that I just had in my house or like, I really love Mm -hmm. cider. That, you know, like after a day's work or like we had early quarantine when I was still in Austin. Yeah. We would have happy hour where we would get on Zoom and just like chat. And it's like, I can't do that anymore. And so I think being really reflective, I think to something you said earlier about, um, yeah, I just, I have never thought like I had a bad relationship with alcohol. I like never have, I've not struggled with alcoholism, but I think having being separated from it in this way in the last couple of months, I'm like, I definitely can see how I used that as an unhealthy coping mechanism for stress. And I think Mm -hmm. especially in the early days of the pandemic, when you were just like alone, like when I was just like alone, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I think I have a much healthier, like intentional relationship um with alcohol than I had before and I'm like I'm really proud of that like it's not just like I'm like a mindless like oh I have a bottle of wine in the in the fridge and like gonna just Mm -hmm. you know bottle the wine and watch Netflix and it's like I can't do that um and so that I think has been really really healthy I think that has been a big a big change I I have not given up drinking I still drink um alcohol but it's just like I think I have a better relationship um with alcohol than I like had fallen into especially during early quarantine yeah so I would think that's like the biggest I think to, like when I was thinking about this question, I was like, that has been a big change in my life. Because I feel like before, I think alcohol was a much more consistent presence um, mm-hmm. than it has been in the last six or, you know, I mean, yeah, like six or seven months. Um, so, yeah, that has probably been the biggest change. And I think the adaption has been like what are I think I have really thought about like what are healthy ways to cope with stress So, like, even with, like, food and, like, eating, like, we've all, you know, gained, like, quarantine weight. So then, like, what does it look like to have a healthy relationship with, like, food and exercise? And I'm definitely more prone. You know, I will say this. With the exception of the ice storm last week, Texas has relatively mild weather. So what does it look like to take regular walks and, like, being outside and being way more intentional about that kind of thing, I think, has been, like, a really helpful adaption. Um, I've also kind of gotten into, I don't know if this is meditation, but I listen to scripture a lot more than I did before, like, in the morning. 
I will just say, after the insurrection, this has been a recent change. After the insurrection, <laughs> I cannot mm-hmm. listen to the news. I used to get up in the morning, listen to like news podcasts or have the news in the background. I don't do that anymore. I gotta listen, you know, like got my Bible app, like read scripture. Let me have my Maverick City music <laughs> going on in the background. I just, I can't do it, guys. Um, right. I just need a, like a, you know, I just need something else in my spirit. So, um, I've gotten away from like new, like my news consumption has gone way down <laughs> in oh, the yeah. last couple of months. Um, what about you? What has been the biggest change? You know, I think the biggest change for me has been finding rhythms of rest. I definitely work a lot. I'm an on the go person, just like personality wise, just really driven. Um, and so for me, Finding that that cadence of rest has been really important for me. So if I now 2021 is different because I've been in a, you know, helping slash caretaker mode in in the first half of this um, few months. But typically when I'm at home and I'm not anywhere else. Saturdays is like the day for me to just do nothing, to have no expectations of myself to accomplish anything, to just be. And I started that in 2020. And I'm telling you, as long as possible, I'm going to carry that habit into this next year. And so even if it can't be every Saturday and I have to switch to another day, finding a day where I don't have to do anything um, is going to be really crucial for me. And even if as my life evolves, that becomes a half a day, so be it. But um, finding that place like will be really helpful to me, like to have that space of just reflection and peace and letting myself dream a little or read or whatever that looks like, just to give myself that capacity that I need. Um, to recharge and come back to the world um, fresh. That has changed me, and I want to keep that rhythm in my life. Yeah, no, that's really that's really good. I think I think for all of us, as we're like approaching, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this. But I think for all of us to think, what have been the things that we've learned during this time that we want to be a part of our life and practice when we when we are no longer in this experience? I think it's helpful. So I just finished reading Beth Moore's Chasing Vines, and she has a chapter on manure. So it's really funny, like every chapter is like named about some process or element of um, the wine growing, wine making process. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but in the chapter about in man- titled Manure, she talks about making meaning of hard things in life, not to excuse or downplay suffering, but as a way of dealing with life's manure. Whether it has helped you grow or not, we all have to deal with just crappy things in life. Um, And I'm wondering for you, how have you made sense of this last year? How have you made meaning from the mess? I think for me, one way that I've made sense of this last year is really asking myself some really hard questions about who I am where I'm headed, where I want to be, who I want to be, um, all of these things, because I noticed a pattern within my own self of like, hey, like, you know, you might be operating a little bit from a place of, of like scarcity, you know, like, oh, Lord, like, 
you know, I'm single. Am I always going to be single? Um, are you going to have anybody for me? Um, and, you know, or just in other areas. And so I had to realize that some of the mess that I felt or was, you know, um, was, was around me or experienced, um, I had to shift my mindsets. You know, my mindsets were, you know, a part of the mess. Um, maybe what was kind of opening a door for a mess because in my head, you know, like I'm seeing things from this vantage point, but I'm not even looking at the full picture. I'm looking at what I don't have. I'm not looking, you know, um, from a bird's eye view of what's going on. And so I really just kind of had to learn that, you know, sometimes where I'm reflecting my own mental posture on things um, creates a mess. Yeah, and oh, that's so, good. Yeah. And so, um, but when I'm at a different vantage point, I see things differently and it just really causes me to understand like, okay, like this is where things are. This is where things are headed and I don't have to get stuck in this other spot when I'm not looking at the full picture because I feel like things aren't happening for me the way I want them to happen or in the order I thought they would happen or should happen. And so it really caused me to get get my head out of the sand. And I think sometimes we have to have hard conversations with ourselves and say, you know what? Like, I'm a contributor here. Like I'm a, I'm like I am a I'm a I'm a participant and a contributor to this because my mind's not right. My my posture's not right. And so and so I think for me it's like, you know, okay, like then let me talk to myself a little bit here. Like how am I trusting God? Where do I need to grow? Like where are some of my weak spots and just kind of having those conversations um and I do believe that God redeems and restores and heals and, you know, provides what we need. Um, but I think it takes a willingness on our part to kind of own up a little bit where we are a part of the problem sometimes. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to acknowledge. I'm a part of the problem, you know, not just them, them, and them, which them might have been a part of it. But we also have a part to play. And I think I've just learned how to more so own my part and ask the Lord to heal and restore those pieces within me so I can show up um, fully and, and in more healing. And so I think that is one of those things for me that I've kind of had to see um, shift in my life, make sense of, and, um, you know, had meaning created from the mess. What about you? Yeah, I mean, as I'm thinking about this, I mean, the big thing that comes to mind is this summer, I 100% believe the fact that everybody was at home, everybody saw that video, and then oh yeah, because people were either out of work or could work from home, that is why we saw the massive protest that we saw. Yeah, um, I agree. Because it was like, you can't ignore this, you know, because, and it's like, the thing is, like, I think that's like frustrating as a black person. It's like, this happens all the time. Like, this happens all the it it is more frequent. I mean, I think what has changed is the frequency in which we see it on camera. Right. But like we either have stories or we have, you know, brothers or dads that have stories of, you know, having these uncomfortable, you know, somewhat violent 
encounters with the police, but, like, praise God, like, in the situations of people I know, like, my brother, that people have made it home. But I think the nature of the fact that there was just a summer of stillness when this, mm-hmm. um, and it just felt like, like, there just wouldn't be that kind of margin, I think, in any other um, circumstance. And then or what that has... I think birth in our country and the conversations. I mean, I think some people want to revert, which I think a little bit is what we saw in the interac- in the insurrection, is people trying to go back. But I just think in some ways, you know, we can't say we didn't see it, you know, or we didn't experience right. it in the way um, this summer. And I think, you know, I think the thing that's like helpful about this idea of like manure is like not to because de- like I I you know that everything happens for a reason and like God is going to use this. And I feel like so, so many times that can be so diminishing of like one who God is, but also it just feels like very hurtful, you know, and like think of the story of Job and his like friends are trying to excuse all these bad things are happening. And they're like, Oh, you must've done something. Oh, you know, you know, God is going to use this. And it's like, when you're in the midst of suffering, that feels like a clinging symbol. Like it just feels like so unfeeling and uncaring. Um, but I think this idea of like manure is to say like crappy things happen in life, but that those things matter in some way and thinking mm-hmm. about like why they mattered. I mean, I love what you said about like sometimes I'm participating <laughs> in the mess. I have created <laughs> I have created my own mess and for me, I will say, like, personally thinking about this question, even, be, you know, beyond, like, what happened in our larger culture, mm-hmm. is it completely shattered any illusion of control. I have, I am totally, like, I can't make long-term plans because I don't know, you know, you know, obviously in Texas now everything is 100% open, but, you know, there was, like, a period of, like, are restaurants open? Can you go in a restaurant or can you be outside of a restaurant? you have to wear a mask? Will Target have toilet paper or hand sanitizer? I don't know. Like, will I be in uh-huh. class in person? Will I be doing it online? Um, and and it's so funny to me because, you know, I'm getting ready to graduate in May and people are like, well, what are you going to do? And it's like, I have no idea. And like one of my friends is like, oh, that must be so stressful. And I'm like, you know, it's actually not. And I, oh, I think that I have come to that place to say that it's not stressful because of the last year. Like I have seen God's faithfulness mm, and provision. So um, but also I'm like, I know I'm not in control. Like I know that like, like I can make plans, but like something else can happen. There can be a detour, a left turn. And so it has made me like more conscious of like, um, my own ability to adapt, like, you know, God has given me the resources and the skills and I, you know, I know I can't, I know I can adapt. Not that it's not a struggle to like change course or like if you thought your life was always going to be this or like for me, I'm like I thought my life was going to be this to have to adapt. It is hurtful. There is a breaking that sometimes comes with yes, ad- yes. Ad- ad- adaptation. So I don't want to dismiss and be like, oh, you know, just adapt. It's fine. It's like, no, there's like heartbreak um, mm-hmm. that can be associated with that, that process. So I just, but I, I have faith in my own resiliency and mm. the resiliency mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit and the continuing work mm-hmm. within me. Um, but yeah, I think the shattering of any illusion of control, I think I've made meaning of that, of like, I can definitely see how, where I am now this spring is definitely a product of this last, this last year. Hey, it's Kaylee. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So um, speaking about rebirth, Faith, what you said was so good. It's been a breaking and a birthing, which is so funny because I'm reading this book called Showing Mary by Dr. Renita Weems, who is like an amazing um, theologian. I highly recommend her work. Um, But this book is about Jesus's mother, Mary, and this is how it starts. Nothing has happened or is about to happen, but it is, and you sense it. It feels as though you're supposed to be doing something, something important, but you don't know what it is. The people and the things that you usually rely upon to distract you when you're unsettled only frustrate you right now. Today is not the first day that you felt like this. This feeling comes in waves off and on, and it's for some time. She then talks about small changes you make to quiet the inner turmoil. And she says, those are fine for temporary relief but they can't quiet the deeper interior upheaval that's going on inside of you. To calm those Twitters, you have to first face them and call them what they are. Spiritual gestation, outgrowing of an old self, shedding of old skin, becoming a new self. This is sacred labor, holy work, rebirth. Whenever we feel like we're being summoned from deep and holy place within to journey to some deep and holy place within, Know that it's God inviting you to an altar where you might encounter God anew and yourself anew. That is spiritual pregnancy. So my question for you is, what do you think is being birthed in you? What is the new beginning that you are looking forward to? Or just like, what are you hopeful about as we kind of emerge from this long, dark winter? First of all, I'm like, okay, I need that book today um every, every <laughs> let me tell you when i dr renita weems will get you together i started this is lip faith this is on the first page i'm like okay sis can i breathe <laughs> can i breathe like this is the first this is how the book starts so I, I highly recommend we'll put the link for the book in the show notes wow wow um this is like literally like snatched my edges and the funny thing is is that i really didn't like deeply read this quote before talking about the breaking and the and the birthing for my own self in 2020. It's, but reading this, is, this, like, wow. This is um, what the Holy Spirit, what we would call a Kairos moment, where the Holy Spirit just, like, when you said that, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is, because I know you did it. And I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> so I'm glad <laughs> that you I'm, felt it, wow. too. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Um, what I think is being birthed in me. You know, a friend talked to me um, last week, and she said, Faith, you've loved so well. You've served so many and for so long, and you've helped build so many things. Um, She was like, this is your time. This is your time for your voice. This is a time for what God is doing within you. And she was like, I can see it. So many can see it. God is doing something new. Um, It's just your time. And it was like this feeling of like, yeah, like I feel that with you. Um, But it also feels kind of scary sometimes. Um, 
And so I I feel like in a lot of ways that sense of yes, you know, I feel that like okay, it's it's my time. But I feel like what's, you know, being birthed within me is words to have conversations with people that help bring understanding, that help bring healing, but acknowledge also um, words and things that acknowledge the beauty and the bravery and excellence of Black women. And I feel so strongly a desire to speak more into the lives of Black women, to highlight our work and our stories, our dreams, our hopes, our fears. And so I'm looking forward to doing more things in person, more like, you know, in the fall, not now, but, you know, where we could gather some Black sisters and have some conversations, you know, um, have some opportunities to just be able to share and, and, um, and to build and facilitate tables for us, by us. Um, those are things that, like, I'm looking forward to. And I'm hopeful because I refuse to let white supremacy and racism have its foot on my neck. And we saw that happen with George Floyd. And I'm tired of us saying and hearing people say, I can't breathe. I want to fight for our breath. And I want to fight for us to be able to exist fully and freely. And even if that's in a very small way, to be able to create those places and spaces for us to be able to exhale and breathe, that is what I want to do. And so I feel like that's like the vision of me for life and, and towards, you know, the future of what's to come. It's where can I go and, and feel like I can truly inhale and exhale freely and, um, and still continue to thrive. And so, um, that's kind of what's on my mind, you know? I feel like I'm saying it kind of jointed and segmented because it's kind of just, like, coming to me as I'm saying it. But, you know, ultimately, I just want to be in a place to where I can look around, take a deep breath, and know that I'm in a safe environment for me and that others feel the same way. Yeah, that's good. I think that's really good. I think for me, I feel like I'm, you know— I think you go through a series of these things, which is what I love about this quote, Um, a series of rebirths. I definitely feel like my 30s, like turning 30 was a rebirth for me. Um, And then it's like, as I get closer to 40, um, that there's like another one coming of like a vision. I think that I have, I think I have become comfortable with this process. I think that there is so much pressure to be, um, what are you against um, mm-hmm. to be in particular camps? And I just realized, like, the older I get is that's not me. Like, I'm always going to be someone who reads widely. I'm always going to be the person that can talk to you about, you know, XYZ documentary or policy. But I'm also going to be Real Housewives of Atlanta, Real Housewives yeah. of New York till I die. And, like, that's okay. And I feel like there's, like, this pressure to be one, especially for black women, to be in this box and to be one thing all the time. I think, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's like we talk about race, but that's not all we are. And it's like, honestly, 
part for me, I have, I feel like I talk about this because it's my life. It's my brother, it's my family, it's my friends. But it's like, that's not all that I am. And that's not all my expertise right. is in. And I feel like, but there's this pressure because it's like, oh, if you're a, a black person in a predominantly white space, you're our anti-racism educator. And like that right. sort of pressure um, is not fair. I think the whole, we've talked about like angry black woman or it's like, you know, if you are a black woman in this space, you have to be this kind of black woman and you can't, mm -hmm. there can't be any like layers or multitudes. And I think just coming out of this last year, like feeling like, you know what? Like, I'm just not doing that anymore. Like, I'm just not playing that game. You know, it is what it is. Like, I love Dr. I like Renita Weems and I like Beth Moore. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And we've talked about this sort of scarcity mindset. And I think realizing for myself like how much like scarcity and fear and control were really holding me back and I mm. think this idea of like fully entering into the rebirth is like letting those things go like God is mm -hmm. a God of abundance you know God is a you know a God of love like he is ultimately in control and like I'm free to like I don't know like I just feel like my whole like imagination I've, I've really been stuck on that word the last couple of weeks of has like just expanded of like what I can even see, like what is my vision of flourishing is just mm -hmm. so much more, I think, expansive than it was, um, you know, before this experience, you know, I'm hopeful, like I'm excited to just like hang out in my local coffee shop again. Like that's like a really small, silly thing. Um, but I'm just, I'm like hopeful because yeah, like you said, I want to see us come into this like wide open space. There's so much like imagery um, in the Bible about like, what does it look like fruitfulness and like a lot of like biblical analogies and stories tied to land. Like I just see that sort of like sound of music, like the hills are alive. Like I just want to see us come into this like wide open space of like freedom and love and we're the fullness of who God is and who he created to be. And I honestly, white supremacy was not a creation of God. It is not from God. And it it, it not only chokes the life out of black people, it chokes the life out of white people. Uh -huh. And so it's just getting people to see it's not in their best interest and it's not God's design for humanity um, so that we can all be free and come into this like wide open space. But yeah, I'm like, I'm hopeful. I'm just like to, for us to, yeah, take deep breaths and like, um, yeah, come out of this transformed and realize, you know, things are going to open up again, but we're never going back. It'll never be the right. same. I think we will be marked by this experience for the rest of our lives in the same ways, you know, I think about my grandmother and like great grandmothers and the way they were marked by the Great Depression will be marked by this. And then the question becomes, you know, what do we want those markings to be? How do we mm. want to use the manure of this experience to get to our beautiful, you know, vineyard and vine place? Because mm. um, I, I believe that, like, like, that's, you know, God's heart for all of us. And so mm -hmm. I'm hopeful about that. I love that so much. Um, so we're going to wrap up our episode with our favorite segment and yours. Go off, sis. Um, so there's so much to talk about, so, so much. We're gonna do our best 
to um, keep it brief for you all, but there's a lot that's happened. Catherine, why don't you get it kicked off for us? So my bless is the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, baby Archie and their new daughter. And I wish them just more days of sunshine and beach and fruitfulness in California and in their new life. I, uh, I you know, they looked very happy um, at the end of their Oprah special. And so I just want to bless them in their future um, and thank them for that. Um, we will get more into that in a special episode for our Patreon subscribers. But I just want to, you know, say we I bless the Sus Sussex. What's their last name? Sussex? I don't know. But <laughs> no, it's not, right? But I don't know. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex and their family, I want to bless. Okay, so mess. I want to say we are... Uh, this last year, there has been a epidemic of people of color and women being pushed out of institutions, um, whether it's Southern Baptist or PCA. And it's like, to me, I think the thing that's frustrating about that is they're being pu pushed out for standing up for the Bible, um, to care about justice and racism and to want to <laughs> dismantle white supremacy is biblical. I'll say that again, to care about justice and racism and to want to dismantle white supremacy is biblical. Um, God is a God of justice. The pursuit of justice is a mark of discipleship. It, think about it as part of pursuing holiness. And I want to say, you know, in the same way you go to church or you tithe or you're faithful to scripture, um, if you're a person who cares about justice, it's really a mess that you are not comfortable in an institution and that institutions are pushing people out for, for caring about this thing. And then I think the question becomes, is your institution really about the gospel or is it about something else? I'll let you answer that internally. Um, and then I just want to say, I highly <laughs> recommend a recent episode of Pass the Mic where Jamar Tisby tells his story of, of leaving the PCA. I think, I think that story resonates across so many people's experience. And I think it is a tragedy. It is a tragic mess that people are being, you know, either choosing to leave because they don't feel comfortable staying or they're being pushed out or they're being burned out doing this work because there are not enough people of courage who will stand with them and say, you know, what they're doing is biblical and they belong here. Well. <laughs> okay, so I haven't finished that podcast episode. I think I'm like a third of the way through. It's pretty long, but it is so good. Like, so good. Honestly, um, it kind of explains some things for me. First of all, let me just say, I didn't grow up under any kind of denomination, so all of the denominational things literally sometimes fly over my head. <laughs> so that's another reason why when people are, like, having all these fights, inner fights on Twitter and stuff, and you're this and you're that, and I'm like, huh? Like, I get it, but I didn't grow up with it. So I, it's not like, you know, it, it doesn't feel as personal to me. I'll just say it that way. So, um but I remember the reformed kind of movement amongst black people because I was into Lecrae's music and 116 and some of those rappers and they were deep into the reformed movement and always confused me. I was like, what are they doing? Like, I just, you know, and I didn't know a lot about it, but it just didn't seem to make, it just did not seem to make sense to me from the context that I had. And so listening to him talk about it now, I'm like, this is making these lines make sense, you know? So anyways, um, but I know that like Jamar's work is, is so incredibly impactful and meaningful. And I'm so glad he did this episode. I can't wait to finish listening to it tonight. But um, I second all that Catherine said. I just had to throw that in there. Um, and it's just, it's good to see people talk about 
how they left and why they left and to see people on the other side of that thing. So um, my bless um, for just this time, this week or so, um, is really just going to be, well, I guess this is kind of, could, should be my mess. I was going to talk about something really lighthearted, um, just the fact that I've started watching one of my favorite reality shows again, um, Married at First Sight, <laughs> but um, also... <laughs> And I've been enjoying it, and so that's a nice pastime. That's part of my uh, that's part of my bless. Um, this is it's gonna I'm gonna kind of do a two part here. So the bless, loving watching the show again. The mess is that I literally think they destined these people to fail. Um, they did not do a great job picking the couples this time, and I honestly think I don't know if you've watched this, Catherine. This is another conversation to have um, maybe at one point, but about manipulation and spiritual abuse as it relates to relationships and men in relationships. Um, what happened to Paige on that show is completely terrible. And there was so much emotional and emotional abuse and manipulation, spiritual, you know, bypassing, just all, all the all the things that are just completely wrong in a relationship. That was what was happening in that episode um, or in the first few episodes. So but I, I'm, I'm interested in talking about that more because I feel like as black women, because of the messages that have been taught to us, a lot of women, but a lot of messages that have been taught to us about relationships and marriage, all these things that it really sometimes puts some black women in a position where they're not winning because, you know, you're kind of taught this subservient mindset um, of how things could or should be when it relates to men, what their voice is and isn't. And so um, that was just a complete, complete, complete mess. Um, so the other part of something I'm really happy about, something I am absolutely loving right now, um, is really just seeing the people that I love in my life win and do well and pursue their dreams. And for some people, that's like taking a step back, quitting jobs, taking leaps of faith, finishing school, doing amazing things, starting off fresh somewhere. It takes a lot of work to start over and to try something new. And there's so many people in my life doing that. And that blesses my soul so much. So if you're starting over, if you're pursuing a dream, even if that means you're taking a pay cut, like do that thing. It's so important, it's needed, and it's special. So that's my go off, sis. Um, I really quickly want to thank our Patreon supporters, Aaron M., Jamie G., Emily C., Jennifer K., Shannon M., Lily M., Rachel H., Jenny D., Erica N., Emily W., and Kelly J. Um, so, so thankful for you all. Um, if you all want to hear more of our thoughts on Oprah's interview with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, you can join our community. Um, we're going to have some special episodes over there um, where we are just going to talk to you. You'll get to see our faces and um, we're sharing some extra thoughts about all of that stuff when it comes to um, Prince Harry and Meghan and, you know, I don't even know, can we call him Prince anymore? Whatever. It just We're going to be talking all about it. There, in my mind, my prince and princess. Okay. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay, so that's how that's going to be. So thank y'all. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. And I also just want to say, don't forget to pick up Faith's Anti-Racism Guided Journal. Is your allyship conditional? 
on her website um, or on Amazon. I know. We'll see you all next time. Bye.